Welcome to the Dietitian's Dish Podcast. We are Gina and Nicole, two dietitian mamas and good friends living in Ohio and Michigan. This is a podcast dedicated to making whole family wellness more fun and less stressful. Whether you're listening in the car or slumped on the couch with a glass of wine, welcome. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I'm Gina. And I'm Nicole. And today we are dishing about raising an intuitive eater. But first, let's catch up. We haven't talked in a while, Nicole. What's new in your COVID-19 world? Oh, my COVID-19 world. Uh, it's calmed down a little bit. <clears throat> um, yeah. So I think in, in the healthcare world, everybody kind of prepared really hard for this surge and um, it hasn't come yet. And so I, I think this is almost like the calm before the storm. So um, I've been doing a lot of work from home. I kind of joke that now that the world has relied on things like Zoom and all these different you know, ways of connecting virtually, I said our mm-hmm. patients, I think they're either bored or they've figured out technology because we're all of a sudden getting this influx of calls just like, hey, I want to have a virtual visit. It's so interesting, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, which is great. So things have gotten a little bit busier um, okay. in much more exciting news, perhaps. Uh, we finished Tiger King and you said you ha- <laughs> you haven't watched it, right? Okay. So the last time we podcasted, you had mentioned it and I had not heard of it, believe it or not. Uh, but I, we did just start watching it. Nick was like, we have to watch this show. Everyone's talking about it. You know, those shows where it's like, everyone's talking about it to the point where if you don't watch it, you feel like a total loser and like left out of all conversations. Yeah. That's how I felt. So yes, we are on episode two. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's not, I, it's not, it's good. I, I, I'm curious. I kind of heard a little bit about what happens at the end, which is what is enticing me because I love a good murder mystery um, to continue watching it. Oh, well, you won't have to make it till the end to figure all that out. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you. So I, one of our friends was like, okay, 80% love it and 20% are like hate it. And I I just said, I'm really in between. Like, I I feel like I'm in neither camp. Glad I watched it. Would life Mm -hmm. go on with out having had that seven series experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. And okay, this is so lame, but it's truly cramping my style right now. Our dishwasher broke. And uh, And your your husband works for Whirlpool. Yes. Yes. Um, So... (laughs) Yes. And so when the technician came out and fixed whatever it was and he ran a cycle, everything was good and then loaded the dishwasher, went to go start it and it doesn't work again. Ah, so annoying. So annoying. And Gina, especially now, because you probably I, have double dishes. Every right? single meal's at home, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Every single meal. It's paper plates. <clears throat> well, I I feel terrible to say that we have we have been doing that. We, we have too. Um, yeah. But yeah, and we have a dishwasher. Yeah, and you I, I get it. Okay. Well, I said, Mark, like, when when do you think this is going to get fixed? And he's <laughs> like, Well, it could be like Friday, and it's Monday night oh, uh, for gosh, reference. No. Um, so we this is like week two without a dishwasher. Mm, it's hard. Yeah, um, yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> I, dishes are my least problems. favorite chore. Exactly. I know. And and we don't use paper plates often. I will say we probably use them like once a week. Uh, it's just one of those things where if we just don't, if I know it's going to be a, a night where we're rushing all over the place and I've got so much to do, the last thing I want to do is dishes. And regardless, we'll still have dishes to do. Like when I make a meal, even if it's leftovers, there's still dishes, even if I use paper plates. So 
I know it is totally hashtag first world problems. It's a terrible, you know. Well, I kind of pride myself in my dishwashing loading ability. Like it's a total game to me. Oh, yeah. Like it's a skill and I have it. Uh, so I don't mind the loading part. I don't uh-huh. so much like unloading. But anyway, oh, so I, I have neither opportunity at this point. It's just Aww. all it's just all slave labor. Uh, sorry. That's that's my update. I got nothing else. What's going on with you guys? You're watching Shameless season 10. You didn't oh, say yeah. that. Yeah, I am watching Shameless season 10, which is good, not great. Oh, and I guess one other thing. You know, we have a bit more time, like simple things like not getting ready in the morning or not caring what mm-hmm. I look like for the day. There's just a little, a little bit more time. And mm-hmm. um, I have been taking the opportunity to do things that I'm normally really bad at, like stretching and mm. doing weight exercises, like resistance. Oh. I know. <laughs> and I think you downloaded the Peloton, um, uh-huh. oh, the app. And that, yeah, it's great. Like, and it's free mm-hmm. for 90 days. Everybody should download it. It's just, it's been great. So I've been doing a lot of different stuff. In addition to kicking my own butt, um, I went for a really good run last week outside. And I haven't run outside in a while, but I did like 10 minute miles, which for me is like good. Um, it was just three miles, but for me, that was, I haven't been running. So it worked out different muscles. I had to take off like a full two days because I had just pelotoned really hard and then run really hard. And I just hadn't given my muscles any rest. So ironically in this period of pandemic, I, yes, I'm spending more time indoors, but, um, finding ways to be active, which is really good. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And I do love the Peloton app. It has, you know, they have the boot camp, which is you're supposed to be on the treadmill and then do mm-hmm. you do the weight. So you get on the treadmill for 15 minutes, then you get off and do weights for 10 minutes and then, you know, go back, go back and forth. I don't have a treadmill. So I just get on my bike and pretend like it's the treadmill. You don't have to have whatever um, uh, cardiovascular equipment you have, you can use when you do that boot camp workout. I love it. And then I love all the spin classes and I rarely, rarely do a live one. I asked you the other day how to do live ones, but there's basically two options. I mean, it's basically 5.30 or 8.30 or like 7 p.m. I don't know if it's normally more than that when we're not in this COVID-19 world, but I find that the options are not very great um, when mm-hmm. it comes to live. So, yeah. but I still, I love the app. It's it's great. I I find that the non-live classes are, are fantastic. I, it doesn't bother me at all. Uh, so anyway, I uh, up, updates for us, you know, we have been blessed to kind of we have our, our close knit circle of COVID 19ers and it's included my mom and my dad and his wife Paula and you know we've been sending the kids to my mom's house for four hours at a time and then Paula has taken um the kids for a little bit. My dad still works. He's an accountant so right now is a really b- busy time for him. Uh, but so we've been re- very blessed to be able to kind of send our kids away for little spurts here and there. And we decided as of today, we're not doing that anymore. We probably should have not been doing that for a while. I know that some of my friends have already said, Gina, what are you doing? But we've really made the, I mean, we don't go anywhere. And I know my mom doesn't go anywhere. I know my my dad doesn't go anywhere other than his office. Uh, I guess he is seeing clients there. But regardless, uh, we made that decision today not to send them away anymore. So... I don't know how I will get work done now. I mean, it's been very nice having, you know, three or four hour periods throughout most days to get a lot of stuff done. So starting tomorrow, I will not be blessed with that. My mom's still going to come over and help when she can. But honestly, when I'm here and someone's here watching my kids and they know I'm here, it's 
It's mm-hmm. just not not easy, if you know what I mean. I'm like a magnet, basically. They they can smell me. Like they're like bloodhounds. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. But you know, that's that's the world we live in now, and that's probably a smart move that I should have made a while ago. But I was just desperate to get work done. Nick and you know, a lot of my friends are going kind of you know, their husband is taking two hours or their partner, and then they take two hours and they go back and forth. Nick is constantly working. He's on call at all times because he's in sales. People are calling him all the time. He's talking into his watch constantly. He gives he gives me anxiety just watching him pace up and down, back and forth. He can't ever really stop. So it's really all me or nothing at all. So anyway, moving on, I was very excited. I passed the first part of the intuitive eating, uh, a certified intuitive eating consultant, I guess is what it's called. So it's a three-part series. And the first part has a 150 question quiz. It was not easy. I will say Uh, you would think, oh, I could pass this. No, no, no. Uh, It was it was something that I really had to study hard for. It was open book. Uh, But you know how in school, do you remember open book tests sometimes being the hardest tests? Because you overthink it. Yeah, you overthink it. And then they ask more difficult questions because they know Mm -hmm. it's open book. So yes, it was. Well, congratulations. That's awesome. Second part starts next week, actually, with a live like tele-seminar series, which I'm really glad is not canceled because it's over the phone. And then lastly, I have that I'm just absolutely obsessed with my Kindle. <laughs> I don't know what took me so long. Well, I know it took me so long to get it. I was just being cheap, honestly. But really what sold me, I think I might have said this on the last episode, maybe not. But when we were in our hotel room at, at Great Wolf Lodge and yeah. I wanted to read and you got your Kindle out and I was like, gosh, darn it. I mean, I couldn't. I couldn't put my you know light on on my phone. It's super bright. Uh, so I was just very jealous of you at the time. I finally purchased one and I've just been in love with it. I've not had enough time to read or practice the piano like I was hoping. I mean, literally, I feel like I have less time now than I did before when I was going to work. Honestly, I never thought I would say that, but that's what I feel at this point. So I haven't had much time to read. Every once in a while when it's nice out, I'll go outside and walk and read my Kindle, which is also fun. I love to walk and carry that thing. It's like paperweight uh, mm-hmm. and, and and read. So that's that's been really nice. But yeah, so it's a great purchase for sure. All right, you ready to move on? Yeah, I'm feeling I'm feeling underqualified for today's topic. I'm, oh, please. <laughs> I, Why? Because like, I passed my intuitive eating Yes, quiz? <laughs> you're like, you're like the pro. And oh, yes. I feel like course. you're just better naturally at intuitive eating and being mothering with intuitive parenting with intuitive eating as a principle. Oh, well, okay. We're, we're, we're definitely different and we will talk about that. Yeah. Um, but we've had, we've come from different backgrounds and we have very different kids too. So, you know, who knows how I would be with you know, a different set of kids, you know, who knows? And and there's no better. Um, maybe you'll learn some things and um, two different and perspectives anyway for today. I think so. And I think that's good. I think that's good. There's no right or wrong way to do it. Just really all about learning and kind of growing. Okay. So if you like this podcast, everyone listening, please write us a review Today, we are announcing a giveaway, which is, this is our second giveaway on this podcast. So one person will win the fourth and newest edition of Intuitive Eating by Evelyn Tribble and Elise Resch. Anyone who has already written a review, don't worry, you will still be entered. So we'll go back and look at all those entries and enter you. As well as anyone who leaves us a review between now, April 12th, and our next episode, which is coming out May 2nd. Actually, I'm sorry, that's actually going to be two episodes after that. 
So between now, April 12th, and then May 2nd, we will announce that online episode. We'll announce the winner. I'm sorry. We'll announce the winner on Sunday, May 3rd. Now I'm totally confusing everyone. So definitely have your review put in by May 2nd. You'll have plenty of time that gives you a few weeks and then we'll announce it May 3rd. And uh, yeah, so any review will do. Just make sure you don't just fill in the stars like we normally say, actually post something about our, our podcast. Uh, obviously we prefer it to be a good post, um, <laughs> but I mean, we'll enter you in even if you say something negative, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, we'll see about that. (laughs) All right. So today's episode is brought to you by Lindsay, also known as the Lean Green Bean. Lindsay has a fantastic Instagram that you really must follow, especially right now if you aren't used to having your kids around at all time. And of course, her website is full of great recipes that are simple, which is my favorite, and balanced. They're also incredibly kid-friendly, i.e. perfect for when you are stuck at home all day for days on end. Recently, Lindsay created a program called the Dinner Spark. The Dinner Spark is a comprehensive guide designed to pull you out of your meal planning rut. It's designed to provide you with lots of inspiration and make dinner time exciting again. You get links to hundreds of meal ideas, ideas for ways to use food you prep on the weekend, ways to spin your family favorites into new meals, simple sauce recipes to jazz up your favorite proteins, which I love that idea, and no recipe meal ideas for busy nights. Plus, for the next three months after you purchase it, you'll get a weekly email with even more dinner inspiration, including two to three ingredients you could prep on the weekend and three recipes you could use them in. It's normally $45, but you can use the code BONUS, that's B-O-N-U-S, to get $15 off, which is only makes it only $30, which is a huge deal. Learn more about that at theleangreenbean.com slash the-dinner-spark. And of course, we will put that link in the show notes. All right. So yeah, I've been following Lindsay for a while and she's got, she's a stay-at-home mom who also works full-time. Um, she has got a blog and obviously she also creates fantastic um, things like the Dinner Spark. But she has her kids, three kids with her at all times. And she just is very creative with the things she has with her children. I'm just like... Total mom goals. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are we are we ready to start talking about intuitive eating? Let's do it. Okay. All right. So from the moment we're born, we intuitively know when we are hungry and how much we need to eat to feel satisfied, full, content, and to thrive. For many of us, this intuitive eating that is innate within us starts to fade as we are bombarded with negative messaging, either from guardians, family members, friends, media, or even sadly ourselves. Whether you're working on getting back to that intuitive eating or your intuitive eating abilities have never faded, you're likely wishing and hoping to raise your children, current or future children, in a way that retains their intuitive eating mindset, to have a positive relationship with food and their bodies, to trust their body's needs, being attuned to hunger cues and not feeling guilty about foods eaten or not eaten. Today's episode will provide tips and strategies to help you assist your children in continuing to listen to their body's cues and retain that trust they were born with, and ultimately making sure they continue to have a positive relationship with food and themselves from now until hopefully forever. All right, so moving on to our discussion points, and I'm, I'm really excited about this. Mm-hmm. I know we've talked about this in the previous episodes. We've always kind of, um, you know, uh, Every once in a while, we'll bring up intuitive eating in some regard and some respect about our kids and kind of what we do here and there. We've never actually dedicated an entire episode to intuitive eating with our kids. And I know, and I don't remember which episode it was, but it was a very earlier episode. It was called 
um, past the catch-up about picky eaters and uh, feeding styles. And we talked a little bit about how we were raised and what kind of feeding style our our parents had. Uh, But what are some of the things that you, Nicole, learned from your own parents about raising an intuitive eater? And this would include things that you that maybe you learned that maybe you should do better than they did or things that they did that really kind of inspired you when raising your own, uh, own kids, things, things that they did well when it comes to intuitive eating. Yeah. So I, my memory is so poor. I think I've mentioned that a bazillion mm-hmm. times, but it is. Uh, so I don't feel like I can answer it really well, but I can remember certain things. And I think more so than, um, like a positive takeaway is kind of more things that I I knew I didn't want to do in raising my family. Uh, But I think my mom is a great example of an intuitive eater. And she has always recognized that she enjoys food most when she's hungry. And so she really strives um, for that fulfillment, you know, just to, she's always just really, her, her mantra has always been, and she said it my entire life is she eats to live. She doesn't live to eat. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I would put myself on the latter end of that spectrum. <laughs> I mean, I truly like love food. And I would say my mom loves food as well. Um, but she has just always had this relationship with food that it was it was transactional. Like it was um, available. It was affordable. Like whatever it was. Like my mom has just always been that person that's like, I'll eat whatever for breakfast because it's there. Um, she just really hasn't put... Uh, food on a pedestal at all, um, which I think is interesting. And that's just a perspective that I personally have never lived. Um, but yeah, where I could, I would just say that my love for food can trump uh, physical signs of satiety. And I know that about myself. So I think mm-hmm. that's, that's part of intuitive eating is just recognizing kind of where you're at and where you'd like to be in your journey. Uh, but I would say, despite kind of being overweight um, as a child, um, Sorry, I lost my spot here. Um, yeah, because I just moved that. I'm so sorry. I forgot oh. that you also see this. No, I, just, I just condensed the entire uh, our podcast notes, and I'm realizing that we share this document, and that probably just happened on your screen too. My bad. Well, I just we have a lot of notes here because I think we don't want to miss anything. Um, yeah, but you know, I I grew up overweight. I've always been overweight, and so I would say my parents did a great job of being re- very respectful about the words that they chose, and they really did not police my intake in any way. And I think for parents who may be raising children in larger bodies, that is difficult to do. That said, um, when I started my weight loss journey at like 13, um, which was Weight Watchers, and if you want to go back and listen to that episode, you're more than welcome to. Uh, but they were very supportive, and so when I would walk in the door after like my meeting, they would be like, "How much did you lose?" You know, it was like this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, there was definitely some emphasis on weight, uh, but it was always very positive. I can remember, you know, my mom would have as we were growing up and she actually still does it today. And my brother lives at home and today it's always weigh in Monday. So they have a scale in their home. They all weigh in on Monday. That's like posted on the fridge just because it's a convenient place. But that is kind of the environment that I grew up in just to kind of mm-hmm give a point of reference. Uh, so weight was definitely talked about. And I can remember, of course, as my body continued to grow, um, you know, to an unhealthy size, that was definitely something that I wanted to be kept private and, and all of that. So I, I think there was some really interesting things going on with just like weight uh, in general in the house that I grew up in. Uh, but I would say as far as food we were always offered cereal if we didn't like what was served for dinner. And my brother and I, that was like a reward. It truly uh-huh. was. Um, and we're not talking uh, f- cereal with fiber or any. I mean, we're talking 
fruity pebbles, cinnamon toast crunch, Reese's mm-hmm. puffs. I mean, just the the best of the best, you know, when it comes to junk. Um, and we, my brother and I love cereal to this day. Like we would oh, probably yeah. choose cereal over whatever. So anyway, I feel like that was a very negative cycle to get in because it really didn't put um, any pressure on my mom per se to like create a meal that we might actually like. Um, mm-hmm. That said, you know, we were typically offered a dessert most evenings and I don't really recall it being tied to like eating our meals or anything in particular. But I would say overall, I was raised in a house that probably did a poor job of um, highlighting any type of intuitive eating um, strategies, if you will, Mm -hmm. when it comes to like raising children. Uh, But I think I've been able to take what I grew up with and and kind of apply that to my to my rearing of my kids, I guess. Yeah. I don't know if that really answers the question. <laughs> no, it does. You, we, I think we grew up in two very different households and we've talked about this. So that episode that you were referring to about our kind of past with an eating disorder and uh, disordered eating was episode 15, by the way, if you want to go back and listen to that. Um, I have a question. Do you think it would have been better though, like now knowing what you know about intuitive eating, if instead of your mom's asking you how much weight did you lose when you were doing Weight Watchers, what do you think would have been a better way for her to react to you doing Weight Watchers no, now knowing what you do know about intuitive eating? Or do you think that was a good mm. response? I always felt very supported. Uh, that's a mm-hmm. great question. I think one of my most vivid memories around food and childhood is um, because of my living in a larger body at a young age, my mom did start me in therapy. And I can remember being old enough to know that we would, she would swing by Taco Bell. uh, We would go to the therapist and the therapist, you know, can you please draw a picture of your body? Can you, you know, and I knew exactly Mm. what was going on. um, And I never really found benefit to it, you know, and it was very mm. awkward for me because I knew exactly what my mother's concerns were. Um, but I feel like she didn't have either the words or the resources to really know how to best support me. So I firmly yeah. believe that she was doing all that she could think to do for me. Yeah. Um, wanting the best for me, of course, but it missed the mark for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Actually, all that I have to say too right now about my mother, I would say the same thing. If she had all the resources they have now and she knew then what she knows now, I think things would have been a little bit different. Um, So I I truly believe that my parents did so many things right. Uh, Foods weren't really off limits in any respect for me that I recall at least. I do remember though, my mom always pushing the idea of making things more nutritious. So making them more nutrient dense. And she always talked about that almost to a fault. So for example, mixing Lucky Charms with Cheerios, very rarely could I just have a bowl of Lucky Charms. She liked to make it more nutrient dense or I guess less sugary uh, by adding Cheerios to kind of cut the sugar of the Lucky Charms. Uh, desserts were definitely plentiful. I remember that very, very well, which I'm very happy about. They never told me when to stop eating or forced me to finish my plate that I recall. Um, if they did, it was rare because I probably always finished my plate because I've always been a pretty good eater. Uh, I would say my dad had a better relationship with food than my mom. Uh, But really, my mom didn't talk about food as a means for weight loss or weight gain in front of me that I can remember. I just remember her having a poor relationship with her body, if anything. And I know that affected me. And I've kind of hit on that a little bit in episode 15 about my eating disorder. Um, My family, both my parents tried really hard to get me involved with cooking and having a role in meal planning as much as possible, which I very much appreciate. 
Uh, overall, they did a great job helping me form a positive relationship with food. I would say that there are two things I remember they could have done a better job of, and it was specifically not talking about weight as often as they did. That was my mom, not my dad. And having a scale in their house. I know you just mentioned scales and weigh in what weigh mm-hmm. in Wednesdays. Weigh in Monday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> did they do that when you were little or is that just a new thing? Uh, no, growing up, that was definitely like a thing. Yeah. See, and I don't know what your thoughts are now, but I would never. No, I no, would. No. Yeah. And, and again, that goes back to I'm sure your mom, if she knew what she knew that. If she knew now what she, oh my gosh, if she knew then what she knows now, she probably never would have done that. Like weighing yourself in front of your children and making it a big thing is probably not the best thing to do. Um, but, you know, that's, that's something that, that can be discussed with a, with a doctor or a psychologist and kind of figure out other ways around doing that. Um, I would, if I wanted to, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with as a parent or an adult weighing yourself. I just personally would not do it in front of my children. Mm-hmm. Um, put all that weight, if you will, on weight. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Uh, so scales also, oh, okay. I think, and this is something that we're going to, it's going to come up with in one of these discussion questions that my mom could have done better too. And again, she didn't know any better about, she over, she overly talked about food and nutrition almost to a fault. Like I grew up knowing what foods are healthy and which foods are not healthy. And I think she did it to the point where it backfired. Um, My mom's a nurse, so she does have a healthcare background. It was very interested in nutrition but she talked about it all the time. I think she overly pushed it on me. She turned every eating occasion into a health lesson. And I do believe that had a, had a, had a negative effect on me. And really quickly, so we have this book, you know, Berenstain Bears, everyone knows that. There's this one about Berenstain Bears and junk food. And I was reading it to, I've, we have it in our house still. It's a cute book, but I actually ended up a while ago ripping one of the pages out. Let me just read it to you real quick. So Mama Bear had just discovered that she thinks that her um, two kids, uh, Sister Bear and Brother Bear, are eating too much junk food. It says, yes, they were chubbier from the side. They were chubbier from the front and from the back. There was no question about it. Brother and sister were going to have to stop eating all that junk food. But Mama, they protested, we're growing bears and we need those snacks. You're growing all right, said Mama. The trouble is you're growing from side to side as much as you are up and down. Sometimes cubs get into bad habits and you've gotten into the habit of eating altogether too many sweets and goodies. Oh, it just pains me to read that. And yeah. I've read that to my kids a couple of times. So I finally ripped it out of the book and I'm just done with it. So Ooh. you would never see that in a book nowadays. No, it's probably from okay. the 80s, right? Yes, exactly. Yep. All right. Next question. When did you start to struggle with your... Um, I'm sorry. When did you start to struggle with intuitive eating and being an intuitive eater? And what did it take to really bring you back? Oh, um, I would say I've always struggled if I was being honest. And again, if I'm being honest, I probably always will. However, I would say it's a pretty healthy struggle now I, in my late 20s, early 30s. And I think it similar to you kind of aligns with having children. I would say that I've become very accepting of my size and shape and have truly play, reached a place of food freedom, intuitive eating. And I think you know, for me, even as a dietitian, because these are, I don't want to say they're newer concepts. They're, um, there's definitions or if you will, around these things that, you know, were not in place when I was in school, when you were in school, but food freedom being different from intuitive eating. So I would say that I'm a, I, mm-hmm. I have more food freedom than I do intuitive eating. 
Um, okay. But I do work with other overweight dietitians who really struggle with body image. And I would say they tend to be younger than me. Um, so I, I hate to say that this is kind of a maturity thing, but I think a lot of it, at least for me, is a maturity thing in just kind of knowing who I am um, more so than weight. And I, I think a journey of intuitive eating is is one of self-esteem. So my self-esteem, I would say just soared after high school. Um, I was an unhappy person in high school, which definitely coincided with the period in time that I was trying to lose weight, was over restricting food, um, you know, way over exercising, all of those things. Uh, but moving into college, that's actually where my st- weight started to go up. Um, mm-hmm. And that's also where my body acceptance and food freedom really came into play. So it's it's interesting that those two things for me kind of uh, were migrating in different ways uh, for, for different results. Uh, but I would mm-hmm. say for those struggling with self-esteem at any point in their life, being your own number one fan, and I know that sounds really cheesy, uh, but I think mm-hmm. that's really where a lot of this, at least for me, I, I can kind of pinpoint the problem being. And so I'd really help, um, you know, I would encourage people to question why they feel less than proud of themselves and focusing on improving that self-image. And chances are it probably doesn't have at least all to do with your weight. Uh, it could be a lot of things. Um, but mm-hmm. I think just because physical appearance, weight, size, it's so objective. It's such an a, just a very measurable way of assessing ourselves uh, that yeah. it, it, it just kind of seems to be the default. So it's something that we can universally say uh, that we recognize the stigma around kind of average or normal healthy body size or one that's larger or undersized, uh, whereas recognizing one's own accomplishments or accolades is a little bit less clear. So, I, you know, I use myself as an example. Do I hate my arms? Yep. Uh, do I spend time exercising and targeting them? Yep. Do I allow that perceived flaw to dictate my food intake? No, absolutely not. Um, let me take a sip of my beer. Um, and I'm, I'm totally okay with all of those things. And I'm not just saying that, like I truly am okay with all of those things. So I think it's recognizing all the things that we want to change about, about ourselves, but not using food as a weapon on the war, um, Mm -hmm. in the war because it's one that we're not going to win and it's going to have further detriments. So I, I think for yeah. for me anyway, it really starts with a little bit of soul searching as to what it is that you're unhappy with and if that in any way actually has to do with the way that you look. Yeah, I would 100% agree with you. Um, and yeah, and I and I know we talked about this a little bit again in episode 15, uh, how, yes, your story and then I had eating disorder that started in high school I went to an all-girls school, so I was going back to what you said. I was just comparing myself mm-hmm. to everyone and objective, objectifying myself and realizing that, oh my gosh, I have a belly. I don't like this. I want my belly to be flat. Why do I have this? And you know, looking back, it was probably more bloat. Um, I think that's kind of when my IBS started, so I was probably just bloated. And I didn't really understand that that's what that was, so I stopped really eating and really... Um, uh, put a lot of reins on my on my food intake and it started to show results and I loved it and I just kept going and going and going. So I would say, sadly, I mean, that lasted way too long. Uh, it took about, um, it, well, it took through college for me to realize, even, even going through my dietetic school for me to realize that I wasn't enjoying food and I wa- didn't have a good relationship with food. Uh, once I started dating Nick, I kind of started to, I guess, feel more confident with my body, maybe because I had Nick who loved me for who I was, no matter what I looked like. And I, and I knew that. So maybe that helped. And I think we talked about this before. I hate to say that it took a guy 
for me to finally get some self-esteem. But I think that that really did help. I also reread the book. I say, I, I think it was actually right after college. I, re- I reread the book Intuitive Eating. And I started, and I kind of started using that to help me heal from my eating disorder. Started to kind of test myself here and there a little bit, like one day, one week, one month at a time. And just slowly started to get rid of the guilt and realizing that I could eat food and still love my body and be okay with, you know, the the skin I was in. And honestly, the truth is that having kids was what really whipped me into shape and forced me to heal my relationship with food and my body. Cause I realized if I didn't have a positive relationship with food and my body, there's no way my kids were going to have a positive relationship with that. So that was really what got me going and, and really got me to change my ways and Um, So I'm very thankful for them for that. And I'm proud of myself for that too. Okay, so let's change the focus uh, to us as parents. A quote from the book, Intuitive Eating is, for a child who is fed on schedule rather than on demand, moving on to the toddler years can initiate a disordered relationship with food. Do you agree? And how did and does that play out with your kids? I think- And this is just my own experience. But I think as parents, we have to honor the fact that sometimes children will eat a lot and sometimes they're not going to eat a single bite, even if it's something that they knowingly like. Right. We just have to be okay with that. And kind of like you said, to kind of be to offer what it is that you want offered Um, and obviously focusing on balance with a good variety. But Mm -hmm. just trusting that children are going to get the nutrients that they require for proper growth and development as long as we're offering kind of the balance and variety and all of those things. Um, but I, you know, I think I personally struggle with this in parenting. And, and like you said, there's, it's a bit more challenging after breastfeeding or, you know, formula feeding is over and, and, and foods are, are introduced because I know for me, like one of my frustrations is just like, if there's a birthday party or something at school and cupcakes are offered as the afternoon snack, like I'm okay with that. But mm-hmm. I know as a parent that they're going to eat more than if the snack is carrot sticks and hummus. One, they hate hummus and they're not going to be offered an alternative at school. And I want to eat more cupcakes than carrot sticks too. And I think that makes us human. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think it's recognizing then that they're not going to eat as much dinner um, versus if the healthier alternative were were offered for that day. So I think for that reason, a little bit of timing is important just because we don't want to displace all the good in the diet. Um, And I'm sure you learned in school too, and the reason that we see obesity rates rise in in other countries now is that we all love sweet, salty, fatty foods. Like we all, those are pleasure sensors on our and taste buds on our tongue. And we like those foods. And as we gain more and more access to them, we we knowingly like those. And I think we have to just like know and honor that. Um, yeah, I don't know. No, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think what I was trying to say, I mean, no matter what, even if you're really good, like I feel like I was pretty good about feeding my my kids on demand when they were infants. It's still not going to be easy when they reach toddlerhood because yeah, mm-hmm. there are times for me. I mean, when it's breakfast, it's breakfast. I mean, you can't you can't not Schedules. sit down and eat breakfast. Yeah, like, there's a schedule that we have. Yeah, yeah. Dinner time generally between five thirty and six, and, there, and there's really no we can't move that. I mean, you you got to be in bed by seven. We're not eating at six forty five. That being said, like, this morning for example, they weren't hungry. So I'm not going to force them to eat. Just like when they're infants, if they're not hungry, you can't force them. Try feeding an infant, force feeding an infant a bottle or or trying to forcefully put them on your breast to feed. It does not work. They will continually to pull their face back. Um, but if you continue pushing food on um, a toddler, 
when and trying to force them to eat on schedule when they're not really hungry, they're not going to get a good sense of their inner satiety um, and fullness cues. And they're not going to trust themselves when it comes to food mm-hmm. as, as they get older. Um, and they'll see that you don't trust them too. Like if, if I told you, mommy, I'm not hungry. Oh no, you're hungry at six o'clock. You should be hungry. Like that's not going to um, build confidence in, in them. Mm-hmm. So, but yes, it is definitely not easy, uh, but just, you know, try what, you know, there are certain schedules that we need to keep, but what I, I guess my tip is if your kids don't eat, it's okay. And you don't mm-hmm. even have to offer them anything. Maybe if they're just not hungry, it is okay. They're not going to starve. I guarantee it. And there have been times when I've had to not give my kids dinner. And, you know, maybe before bed, if they're they're a little bit hungry, I'll give them a small apple and some peanut butter or something. Um, you got to do what you got to do. But force feeding a child is just, it's not good for anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, you don't force feed them. But when I say force feeding, I'm talking like making them sit and eat something, even if they're not hungry. It just doesn't get you anywhere. Mm-hmm. Okay, so another quote from the book. If there's if there is attunement to the wide array of obvious and nuanced messages that the child offers, the child will grow up with a sense of self-confidence that his needs are appropriate and will be consistently met. So kind of going back to what we just said. The book discusses how a lot of parents struggle with their kids start when their kids start consuming solid foods because it's more difficult to stay attuned to a child's eating signals. I think this is what the question the question that I was answering previously. So in other words, a baby cries and it's a good signal of hunger. A toddler might have more nuanced messaging of hunger that is more difficult to spot. So even us as adults, we might not realize that we're hungry, but we have a slight headache. And actually that's a sign of hunger. Uh, So how are you, Nicole, attuned to your child's hunger now versus when they were babies? So how is it different? And what are some tips that you have for getting attuned to your child's hunger and desires? Well, I would say their crying has simply been replaced with like moodiness and poor behavior. I mean, honestly, um, if I'm paying attention, my kids will become noticeably more short fused with one another, you know, hands on one another, fussy towards me, maybe sassy. Uh, now that we're mm-hmm. approaching six, like we're just a little bit more <laughs> saucy than we used to be uh, mm-hmm. and, and just generally unpleasant to be around, which as a working mom is just the cherry on top. You're like, I haven't seen you all day and now I don't even want to see you, um, which is tough. But I have realized for my children anyway, a lot of time that means that they're just hungry. So after dinner, um, they're usually back to being agreeable and pleasant. And it's really startling how much hunger impacts their mood. So watch out for that, I think would be my tip. Um, And I can ask some clarifying questions to confirm my hunch as to their moodiness. So I might ask, for example, what was for snack today? Again, if it was a cupcake, they're probably a little happier than if it was carrot sticks and hummus. Uh, Because I just know that they, they probably ate more um, Mm -hmm. and and are less hungry at this point. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. It's that, I would say behavior. Absolutely. I don't know. Oh, I 100% agree with you. You know, the bottom line is this. You you might think that it's easier to know whether your toddler or small child, you know, anywhere, whatever your uh, child's age is. You'd think it would be easier to know whether they're hungry now versus a baby because they can actually tell you. But in my experience, and it sounds like from you as well, Nicole, they don't necessarily know if they're hungry. And like I said before, they they might be outside playing with their friends and and just be completely ignoring their hunger because they don't really know what to look for. So it might be helpful, you know, for you to say, you know, if they start to get moody or, um, you know, showing other signs of bad behavior, like for my uh, children, they like to fight a lot. And I can tell that's 
something, either, either they're tired or they're hungry, kind of like when they were babies, right? It might be helpful to say something like, hey, you know, I've noticed that you're getting a little aggressive and you're a little bit moody right now. Do you think that maybe you're hungry? And just to kind of have them realize, like stop and think, oh, you know, I do actually feel a little bit hungry, mom. And so that they're just more aware and and more attuned with their own hunger um, because that'll be helpful as they get older. But I definitely agree with you. That is a telltale sign for, for my children as well. And I do find it very a lot more difficult now when they're toddlers slash, you know, what do you call Paige and Shay's age? Not toddlers. Preschoolers. Preschoolers, kindergartners. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, It's definitely more difficult. uh, I think for them to know that they're hungry. Um, They just, they just don't, they're not attuned to their own hunger needs and we need to become more attuned to it ourselves and kind of point that out to them when we can. There are definitely times though, when they say I'm hungry and that's helpful. That's great. Um, that does not always happen. Okay, I have a question for you. I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but we're running okay. into this because we're living COVID times, right? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of memes going around about the COVID-15 and haha, you know, all this stuff. But mm-hmm. I mean, boredom is a reason people eat. And I have mm-hmm. started to notice this with my children that if they're just bored, they're like, is it snack time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Any, you know, as an intuitive eating, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Guru? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a guru and I'm the opposite of whatever a guru is. Um, you need to give yourself more credit, Nicole. I think you're doing a great job. Oh, well, I really do. I, I guess just as a parent, like how would you respond yeah. to that? Yeah. Oh, I and I've totally experienced this. My, you know, Cameron, especially, I would say Paige is much better, which kind of gives me hope. I think it's really more prevalent in the younger toddler age than it is, you know, Kate, Paige and Shay's age. I don't know if you agree with that, uh, but Cameron will constantly go to the the cabinet or the pantry and say, I want a snack. I want a snack. And I just kind of ask myself, you know, how long has it been since he's eaten? If he literally just finished breakfast, I will say, no, you're fine. You know, go play. And he usually forgets about it. But if it's been an hour or more, I will say, okay, what do you want for a snack? Uh, And let him choose a snack. I don't care what he chooses. But, you know, obviously we keep generally more nutrient dense things in the pantry. Oftentimes he wants the uh, little pouch of fruit snacks. I'll give him half a pouch of fruit snacks and then something else small. I very rarely say no when it comes to my kids asking for food. Uh, but I do want to kind of go back to, um, so I think, I think a good tip there would just be to keep the more nutrient dense foods in the pantry, especially at eye level. Cause if Cameron can't see the food that I don't necessarily want him to snack on, then it's not there to him. You know, I should maybe keep the, the fruit snacks on the high, uh, you know, really uh, tall shelf so he can't see it. Um, but you know, I'm not going to do that cause I know he'll only, he'll be happy with just a few and that's not going to hurt him. Um, oh, so I wanted to also kind of go back to the attunement. I think also a good tip for you as a parent, I'm not talking about you, Nicole, but in general parents, the first thing they need to do when it comes to being in tune with their, their kids and their children's hunger is to learn how to become attuned with your own hunger cues and your own body's, uh, signs of hunger. You know, for me, I start to get a little irritable and lightheaded. Also the grumbly stomach. So if you're not if you're not attuned to your own hunger cues, you're never going to be attuned to your kids. So that's a a good tip. Okay. All right. So intuitive intuitive eating suggests not treating foods such as desserts as something that is extra special or needs to be quote unquote earned. Some strategies in the book included actually serving dessert with a meal so the child doesn't become overly fixated on desserts. It's just a normal part of every day. 
How do you and your house handle desserts um, currently, Nicole? Uh, <clears throat> so I feel like I'm the opposite of you. I do not <laughs> offer daily dessert. And um, I don't really have a good reason for that. And interestingly, Mark, I would say, is more um, passionate about this topic than me. Uh, he is he's pretty restrictive. And and I'm trying to work with him on that, which is very interesting. Uh, but what I have opted to do is to offer it randomly and unannounced throughout the week, several times a week. And I don't link it at all to their eating of dinner or any type of merit. I do it just because. Um, yeah. So I don't offer sweet snacks during the day um, or for really anything other than like, you know, special occasions aside. Um, But I would say just in general, we're a pretty social family. So restaurants, ice cream dates, birthdays, holidays, et cetera, they're all frequent enough um, that desserts are not a rarity without also being a regularity. Um, and I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's right or not. Um, no, I think that's great, Nicole. I, there's I, I like to be with random with it. You know, I don't like them to think, oh, if I ate all my vegetables, then I get this. So I've really mm-hmm. gone to just almost like right hand or left hand, you know, like mm-hmm. it, what am I going to go with tonight? Um, and I'll always use what's in the house as a guide. So um, almost an extension of baby led weaning, if you will. So I couple that with um, the approach that like modeling a healthy, balanced lifestyle for my kids to observe and follow suit. So whatever I do for myself, I would do for them. And sometimes like right now, I'm in a period of life where I'm eating more desserts because I'm baking more desserts. And so we're eating mm-hmm. more desserts. Um, you know, so I think that I'm just trying to adopt that baby led weaning uh, type of mentality when it comes to desserts. Um, yeah. So, Yeah. Yeah. So, so when you kind of just like throw a throw a dessert at them or kind of spur of the moment, Hey, we're going to have dessert tonight. Is that regardless of what they eat or if yep. they eat their dinner or not? Yep. Yeah. I think that's great. That's definitely the intuitive way I would say, you know, for me, it's different because I don't know about you, but I eat dessert every single night myself. Um, so I feel like if I'm able to have a dessert every night, my kids should be able to have a dessert every night. Even if we do it after they go to bed, I don't care. Um, so we used to, after dinner, call our desserts sweet treats, which we have since changed. Now there's called late night snacks. So they're not necessarily dessert. They're just a snack that we have after dinner. Generally, though, it ends up being a dessert. That's fine. My kids generally, like me, would prefer a sweet, a sweet something over a salty something. Uh, we do not put limits on sweets during the day, like I said, and I found that the less I restrict their dessert and sweet snacks during the day, the less they want them. And they really do not eat that much. Um, I learned this by experience it my I experienced it. Oh my gosh, experiencing I can't even say this word. <laughs> experiencing. I swear I'm blaming the braces. I am just so ready to rip <laughs> these things off my teeth. Um, experiencing this myself. I restricted myself so hardcore when it came to desserts for a long period of time, even beyond my eating disorder. And then all I did was crave them. And then when I would eat them, I would binge on them. And I know when I first had Paige, for the first couple of years of her life, I did do a little bit too much restricting of sweets and she became obsessed. I could see it. She was obsessed with desserts. And I have loosened my reins, I would say, over the past three years. And I have seen a dramatic difference. And I've raised Cameron in a different way where I've kind of let him have um, uh, just uh, more uh, reign over his dessert choices and food choices. And I've noticed in him much less of an obsession when it comes to desserts. So I think it's been good for us. But I in no way think that that means everyone should do it that way. It's just what works for us. I do not give them their dessert with their food. They eat dinner, they get dessert. They don't have to clean their plate. They don't have to finish their plate. They don't have to eat their vegetables. They get a dessert regardless. Mm-hmm. 
And it's generally very small. I mean, today we had a little bowl of ice cream. Cameron had a popsicle. So very simple. Okay, so according to the intuitive eating guidelines, you shouldn't force your child to finish his or her plate. But many parents wonder, what do you do if your child doesn't eat his or her meal? Make them something else? Let them go hungry? Let them have a bowl of cereal? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this one's tough. Um, And I think, you know, every family has to do what works for them. But I personally do not offer alternatives. Um, But Mm -hmm. I do always include something in the dinner meal that I know they'll like. So that may be as simple as adding a fruit that I know they like as a side or a component of the meal that I know that they like. So, for example, like tonight we had um, New York strip steak. Nice. We're clearing out our freezers. Yeah. And then mashed potatoes and Caesar Mm -hmm. salad. Shay does not like mashed potatoes and she does not like any type of salad dressing. So her dinner was New York strip and plain romaine lettuce. She was pretty happy with that. So I adapted it to fit her preferences um, while we're still all eating the same thing. So um, that way, though, I know if they don't eat, it's not because they don't like it. Instead, it's because they're not actually hungry. Uh, That said, I, I am blessed with good eaters and they try most anything. Um, They're progressively a bit more choosy. I think we're going to do another choosy eater follow-up, especially the Mm -hmm. five-year-old, but overall pretty accepting palates. Piper, my three-year-old, she likes a lot of different foods and she's really a cheerleader, interestingly, for her big sister. And she'll say, "Mm, it's so good, Shay. You should try it. Like it's it's the cutest. Um, She... she loves food and she's really, really fun to feed. Um, And I just always smile at her because, yeah, she just loves her food. Um, Mm -hmm. So if I'm making something Mm -hmm. that I know they either won't like or are unlikely to like, you know, something that's too spicy or something that I just know they don't like, I may warm them up leftovers or offer something I know they'll like, like, you know, Morningstar Farms, corn dogs or something. Um, And I'll Mm -hmm. just kind of plan that. Um, So that's not often, but I I work that into the meal plan. It's it's not a matter of we all sit down to dinner. They don't like what I'm serving. And so I'm up back in the kitchen kind of finding a plan B, if you will. Mm -hmm. So I kind of know based on I I know if they're going to eat it or not most times. And if, if they don't, I know they like enough components or enough about the meal that they're just choosing not to eat. Then I know I know why. And then they're offered like maybe it's a pineapple as a side or, you know, something mm-hmm. along those lines. Something that you know that they'll eat. Yeah. And if they yeah. don't eat and that, they'll... I'm like, you're not hungry. You know, exactly. I mean, that's what I, that's my argument, too. If your kids aren't eating the dinner, most likely they're just not that hungry because kids will generally eat. If they're if they're hungry enough, they'll generally eat whatever is served to them. Not mm-hmm. always, but oftentimes that is the case. Um, or it might mean they're not care they they don't really care for what was made. Uh, but again, if they're hungry enough, they'll probably eat it or at least some of it. Uh, so I personally like to. I I don't. I know we have kind of a different uh, situation in our household where I don't cook quite as often as you do. Uh, you know, I would say. I cook, especially now, three meals a week. And then we usually have leftovers throughout the week or frozen stuff, whatever it is that we decide to create that day. Uh, So I generally ask my children what they would like to eat. I don't say, what do you want to eat tonight? I say, here are your three options, this, this, or this. And then they get to choose. So I like to put the control in their hands in the first place. That way they're most more likely to actually eat what I make them. That is not always the case, but our, our our new thing is that Paige likes to play restaurant so she'll take everyone's order. I'll give her like the menu options. And then she goes around and asks everyone what they want. It's super cute. Um, but if you give the control to the kids, get them involved in prepping of the meal or planning the meal, they're more likely to finish what's on their plate. Um, 
there are definitely times when I do just make something and hope they eat it. And if they don't, I give them another simple option. So maybe a little bit different than you. So if I make something and just like yesterday, I made jambalaya. I offered it to them both. They did not want to have anything to do with it. I kind of expected that. Um, so I just give them one other, I say, okay, well, here's what you're going to have instead is this. And they have, they get one option and that's it. Uh, I ask them once to try whatever I make, but I don't force it. So I do ask them, you know, Hey, Paige, Cameron, I made this jambalaya, give it a try. If they say no, I don't say, come on, just try it. Cause you got to kind of put yourself in their shoes. Would you want to be forced to try something you don't want to try? No. Um, it doesn't really get you anywhere. Um, and it just, kind of doesn't help them when it comes to trust um, and, and their desires and needs either. Um, you would really be surprised the less you force pe- um, your kids to try something and eat something. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the less you force them, the more likely they are to actually try. And actually, sometimes I'll just walk away and I'll catch them trying the foods that I asked them to try. So they, they don't see me watching them anymore. And then all of a sudden they're willing to try it. So I find that kind of a, a tip that generally works. Okay. I, think you, I think you made a good point about yeah. um, you generally know whether your kids and I said the same thing, I think, but you said it better. You kind of know whether your kids are going to eat something or not. But I think to raise truly intuitive eaters, you have to avoid making assumptions about what your kids are are or are not going to like. Um, yeah, because we all have preferences, but if we impose those on our children unnecessarily, they're not going to become intuitive eaters, right? Like if they're adopting your food preferences, likes and dislikes. So even the way that you talk about food or I don't like fish or, you know, whatever it is that you Mm -hmm. say, I would just be careful about the words that you choose about food because it is going to have an impact on the way that your children accept and perceive different foods. Yes, I would totally agree. They need to trust themselves and their own likes and their own desire, or they're not going to be intuitive eaters. Mm -hmm. You need to allow them to develop that trust. Yep. I agree. Okay. So a quote from the book, another one, the more talk there is about food, whether it's positive encouragement to try foods or negative strivings to reduce a child's quantity of food, the more opportunity for a child's resistance or rebellion towards the authority figure. The less talk about food and the more role modeling the more likely it is that the child will try a new food. So kind of like what we just said. Yeah. Also find vegetables interesting and have more balance in the entire eating experience. And I'm not even going to ask this question. I mean, do you agree? And how does that play out at your house? We've kind of already answered this question. Um, but what, yeah, do, what make, do you think? Make food fun. <clears throat> in, involve them in the process. You know, I think I do more for lunches, but you do at dinner. You probably do it all the time. I'm, I'm a bit more, um, I do it at, but with lunches, I'll say, what would you like in your lunch tomorrow? PB&J or crackers and cheese? Like, you know, um, so I'm the gatekeeper in that way while they're the decision maker. Um, yeah. And I'll also, I've started doing this now that they're a little bit older. I'll ask them, what's something that you'd like to have for dinner during the week? And then, then incorporate that into the meal planning. And so they can be involved in everything from choosing what's going on the dinner menu to purchasing it. I mean, prepping it, all of those things. But it's got to yeah. be fun. And that is one thing. I did not grow up in the kitchen at all. Um, and that's something, I mean, my kids are always in the kitchen, like to the point where it's annoying and slows <laughs> me down and it's claustrophobic and all of those things. <laughs> um, but having that understanding of food prep and all of that, it, it's fun. It creates memories. It's it's good. There's nothing bad that's going to come out of that other than your sanity. Right. I would agree with you. And I, and I think this, I, I kind of took this question as, you know, my mom talked about nutrition and eating healthy and putting together a balanced and healthy plate. I feel like to a fault. 
And I guess I took this quote as you really don't want to push nutrition on your kids as much as you think you should. Uh, Definitely important, like you said, to get them involved in the kitchen, almost stealthily focus and talk about nutrition, but not obviously talk about it. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You can get them involved, teach them things, but not pushing it on them. Like you should eat healthy because of this. You should eat fruits and vegetables because of this, but stealthily do it like, oh, you know, always offering them a fruit or a vegetable, you know, teaching them about the fruits and vegetables in the grocery store, but not pushing fruits and vegetables or whole grains on them. I feel like my mom kind of did that a little bit and nothing against her, but I think that um, she just, she was trying to do her best. And I appreciate, I learned so much from her when I was growing up and it got me to be a dietitian. But I think looking back, it was probably um, had more of a negative effect on me than, uh, than she would have hoped. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, this kind of goes back to our episode five, the picky eaters past the ketchup. The authoritarian feeding style is basically too much rain over what your child eats versus the authoritative, which is the better eating style, which is love with limits. Uh, you know, in our household, we rarely discuss food beyond what do you want for dinner or breakfast? And also sometimes we'll ask questions at the dinner table, like what's your favorite yellow or green food? Generally it's a fruit or a vegetable. So it's stealthful or um, what kind of food makes you feel good? You know, when you eat it again, a kind of a stealthful nutrition lesson there, but you're not necessarily saying it out loud. We also don't for- force our kids to eat or drink certain things beyond milk. We do force them to finish their milk every, every night. I'm not going to lie about that. Uh, we gently nudge trying new foods. Like I said, maybe taking one more bite of something, but if they say no once we don't push it again. Um, so yeah, that's great. Okay. Last question. What are some last tips for parents who may be realizing they are more of an authoritarian uh, feeding style uh, and want to start changing uh, to maybe more of an authoritative or loving with limits feeding style with their kids and kind of instilling more intuitive eating in their kids? What are just some last uh, take home tips that you have, Nicole? Be a role model. Don't make assumptions about they will or what they will or will not like. Um, and be okay with them skipping meals. Um, yet I would say try and avoid overconsumptions of snack that will lead to hunger, lack of hunger going into meals. Because uh, like it or not, like you said, schedules are somewhat just a part of life. And we want to set them up for successful eating habits, pleasant meal times to support them both physically and emotionally. So um, I, 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 I like to honor um, family meal times. Um, anytime you have that opportunity, I think that that's a great time to role model in all of those things. So. Yeah, I love that. And you know what I was actually just thinking, you know, we were talking about how schedule sometimes, you know, a schedule is going to dictate dictate what time the family eats. And sometimes that happens to us as adults, too. You know, there will be times when maybe I'm going to a movie or something and I know I'm not going to eat until 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. I'm not hungry, um, but I know my next meal isn't going to be until nine o'clock and it's four o'clock. So I'll eat something because I know if I don't, then I'll be ravenous by the time I get to dinner. So there are exceptions. And those are things you can teach your children as well at some point. Mm -hmm. Okay. So my tips are that we are all learning as we go. Like I said to you, I've made plenty of quote unquote mistakes, although I don't call them mistakes. I don't feel guilty about any of it. I am still learning too. I'm still really a new mom. We both are. Um, I, I say, just don't be too hard on yourself. Take it a day at a time. If you recognize something that you've been doing maybe wrong or that you could do better at that needs to be changed, talk about it with your kids and discuss the why. For example, if you think Maybe you're listening to this episode and you're like, you know what? I've, I've made desserts off limits. I'm going to start offering my kids desserts. They're going to be a little thrown off by that. Maybe just have a little discussion with them about it. It never hurts. 
Um, if they're younger, just make the change and see if they don't, maybe they won't even notice. Uh, one example is I used to say things to my kids like, you know, I would serve them broccoli, for example, and they didn't want it. And I would say, but you love broccoli. I do not say that anymore. When they say no, I trust that they're not interested in the broccoli at the moment and they don't want it. And I'm okay with that. All right, I'm gonna end with 11 practical tips really quick on page 225 of the Intuitive Eating Book. And I'm just gonna read through these quickly. Children grow in spurts. So remember that sometimes they're gonna eat less. Sometimes they're gonna eat more. Children's food preferences vary regularly. If you serve the same food every day, the child might become disinterested in it. So kind of change up your food offerings. Maybe that's why my kids don't always eat the broccoli I serve them. Look at the whole week instead of a particular meal, kind of like what you always say, our body looks at averages. It's okay if they don't eat necessarily quote unquote well for just one meal or two. Allow your children to serve themselves. If you serve them, you are presuming how much they need to satisfy their hunger. I will say I am not great at that, um, especially at the age our children are at. I just tend to give them smaller portions to begin with. And if they want more, I'll give it to them. Uh, Number six is don't worry uh, when he's hungry, he will eat. Number seven, involve children in food shopping and meal preparation. Number eight, don't forget that it might take up to 15 exposures for a child to accept a new food. Nine, when offering a new food, offer it with some familiar foods. Don't put out several new foods at once. I love that tip. You're going to kind of overwhelm them at that point. Number 10, stay neutral when serving foods instead of pushy. And then number 11, above all, do not bribe, reward, or attempt to comfort with food. Food is for hunger, satisfaction, and nourishment. Help your children learn how to endure feelings. Let them know that their feelings are real and valid and that there are ways to be comforted without using food. And that is it. So that wraps up our intuitive eating episode. Anything else you want to you want to say there, Nicole? No, I don't think so. Okay. Mom wins new products. You don't have anything. Oh, I thought I did, but <laughs> do you want me to go first? Yeah, you go. I'll think. Okay. So I've been really into overnight oats, which is something that I did not used to love, I will say, but it's a one-to-one ratio of milk to oats, any type of milk that you want. I've been doing almond milk. I also, excuse me, add some chia in there, like a tablespoon. Any other toppings like raspberries that you would add at the end after in the morning time after it sat for a little bit or peanut butter mixed in. So you put it in the refrigerator overnight after you mix it and then add your toppings in the morning. And it's just delicious. I'm just really into it these days. Also really into Crazy Richard's peanut butter. I'm usually a diehard Smucker's fan, but the only peanut butter that you can find on our store shelves at this point are, is Skippy or the really random brands like Crazy Richard's, which is actually from Dublin, Ohio, right here in Columbus. It's delicious. I might have found a new favorite peanut butter. So I can't think of anything. That's all right. We're recording another I'm one not, after this. I'm not, so going, we'll I'm not going to the grocery store. So I, yeah, uh, I'll pass. No, no worries. Okay, <laughs> moving on. We've got a review to read. One that will be entered into our uh, giveaway. This is from Reyna875. She says, I love this show. Gina and Nicole are very down to earth and I love hearing what they're up to before the show. The information is well-informed and presented in an easy-to-understand way. Thank you so much, Raina. All right, coming up on April 19th, we will be dishing about gardening with our husbands, believe it or not. We aren't gardening pros, but we've got some great tips and stories to share. And they aren't gardening pros either, so watch out. But I think they know what they're doing better than we do. Until then, keep in touch with us on social media at Dietitians Dish Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram, and check out all of our episodes and show notes on our website, dietitiansdishpodcast.com. 
Also, please tell your friends about us. They can find us on numerous outlets such as Overcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. If you listen on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review. We promise it only takes a few seconds. And don't forget about our giveaway. And if you don't write anything, just fill out the stars, but you won't be entered into the giveaway. So write something. Why not? Until next time, everyone, be well. And of course, we have to say the obligatory, stay safe. Stay safe. Stay well. (laughs) Bye, Gina. Bye, Nicole. Thank you for listening for the podcast. Bye-bye.